For the rest of us, you want to go ahead and grab your Bibles. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 11 this morning, uh, starting in verse 23. And uh, we're going to talk about these uh, seeds of faith that we sow into these children um, because it is so important uh, that they produce lifelong disciples of Christ because the faith and the assurance they have that these seeds are going to grow uh, that we plant into the lives of these kids. So we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 11 this morning, uh, starting in verse 26, or excuse me, verse 23, and we'll read uh, the story of Moses and see how these uh, seeds make a huge difference to him as an adult. So go ahead and read with me in your copy of God's Word. The words will be on the screen beside me. Uh, but Hebrews chapter 11, uh, verse 23, starts off, it says, By faith, after Moses was born, he was hidden by his parents for three months. Because he saw that the, or excuse me, because they saw that the child was beautiful, and they did not fear the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, and chose to suffer with the people of God rather than to enjoy the short-lived pleasure of sin. For he considered the reproach because of the Messiah to be greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, since his attention was on the reward. In verse 27, by faith. He left Egypt behind, not being afraid of the king's anger. For Moses persevered excuse me, as one who sees him who is invisible. By faith, he instituted the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch the Israelites. And finally, in verse 29, by faith, they crossed the Red Sea as though they were on dry land. When the Egyptians attempted to do this, they were drowned. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for today. God, I thank you for, uh, God, just seeing the, the fruits of the labor that many of, of these workers and, and uh, people and parents have put into these kids. And God, we thank you for the time that parents have invested with these kids, sitting and doing these handbooks and uh, spending time working through these verses with them. God, we thank you for uh, the seeds of faith that have been planted in each one of their lives, Father. Uh, God, this morning... We are so thankful that, that we have a church that invests in the next generation, God, that we see this and we value this. And God, we thank you for opportunities we have to come alongside parents and, and minister with them and minister beside them. And God, really just plant these seeds and nourish these seeds uh, as a church as a whole. So God, we celebrate this time together. We celebrate what these kids have done and what these parents have done and what these workers have put their energy into. And God, we thank you so much for that. God, this morning I pray that as we work through this beautiful text, God, I pray that we are reminded how small those things seem to us now, but how big of an impact that they can have for the rest of these kids' lives, Father. God, so I pray that you will speak with us this morning. God, I pray that uh, as we as parents are challenged by this text, God, I pray that for others that are sitting in this room who, who may be grandparents or may not be parents, God, I pray that they are challenged by this passage as well to find their place, to be planting these seeds of faith as well, Father. God, I pray this morning that we find the foundations, God, and we sink into those as well. Father, in Christ's name we pray, amen. Some of you who are country music fans, you may be familiar with the name Rodney Atkins. Uh, if you're not, he's a country music singer that was uh, pretty popular in the early 200s. And in uh, 2006, he had a writing uh, appointment. Uh, he, was gonna, he had a session. He was going to sit down and go into a writing session uh, with a guy named Brian White. And Brian White is very famous. He's written several uh, country songs and non-country songs. And, and so he's a legendary songwriter. And so uh, Rodney Atkins had this appointment to go in and sit down with him and, and try to work on some songs. And uh, unfortunately, Brian was running a little late to this meeting. And so finally, uh, Brian comes, or excuse me, 
uh, Rodney comes in to, to meet Brian, and he says, I'm so sorry. I, I just, I'm sorry that I'm running behind. He said, I just had to stop by the daycare um, and talk with my son's preschool teacher. And, uh, and, and so uh, it seems that Rodney's son, Elijah, had been standing in line like they were supposed to. But instead of just standing there quietly like he was supposed to, uh, Rodney's son, Elijah, just kept repeating these words and, and these phrases and sayings that were somewhat inappropriate for a preschool kid to be saying, right? And so uh, Rodney had to go in and talk to the teacher about what these things were and had to talk to his son about, hey, we don't say those kind of things. And, and so he's telling Brian about all this situation, what he had to do this morning. So Brian just kind of looked at him and said, well, now I'm just curious, like, what was he saying that was so bad that you had to be late for this session? And, and Brian, uh, Rodney just kind of hung his head and he said, well, unfortunately, he was really just singing the lyrics of a song that I've been working at at home over and over and over again. And so he's just been repeating those same words over and over and over again. And yeah, they might be great for a country song, but they're really not appropriate for a preschooler to be saying in the hallway. And so Brian kind of laughed and he said, looked at Rodney and he said, man, he's just watching you. He, he's picking up on what dad does. And so Ryan's eyes, or Rodney's eyes lit up and he says, wow, you're right. That's what we need to write. And so the two of them sat down and they wrote the first verse in the chorus of this song about a dad who is driving down the road and all of a sudden the light turns from green right to red and he slams on the brakes and the young boy in the back is four years old, uh, Happy Mill goes flying across the truck. And, and so that doesn't bother dad. What bothers dad is that his four-year-old says a four-letter word that starts with S and then he gets concerned about that. And so the dad looks in the rearview mirror and says, son, where did you learn to talk like that? And the little boy's response was simply, I've been watching you, Dad. I'm your little buckaroo. And some of you know the song. I see you already singing along with it there. And so then uh, that, that was the verse and the chorus. And so they, they kind of sat down. They talked about, well, what do we want the second verse of this song to be? And they said, well, you know, we don't just learn bad habits from our parents. We learn good habits from our parents. So what if we, what if we made the second verse about the good things that we pick up from our parents, the good habits that we pick up from our parents? And so they kind of brainstormed and thought, what is it that, that our parents did that was good, that made a good impact on us? And so so Brian said one of the first things that popped in his mind was he remembered watching his dad pray. He remembered watching his dad honestly get down on his knees beside the bed each night and seeing him pray. And he said, that is what impacted my life more than anything else. And so for you guys that know the song, the second verse is that the dad who spilled the drink and all that realizes the weight of raising a son in this world. And so he, he goes to the barn, he gets down on his knees, and he prays that God will help him do this. And then he walks by his kid's room that night, and he sees his kid on his knees by his bed praying. And he walks by, and he says, son, where did you learn to pray like that? And his son's response is just the same. Dad, I've been, I've been watching you. And so the dad gives the son a big hug with tears in his eyes. And, and the son looks at him and says, I've been watching, but when I'm big, I'll still know what to do because I've been watching you. You see, that song, Watching You, was the third most popular country song in 2006. In an interview, 10 years after that song was written, Brian White said that out of all the songs he's ever written, out of all the songs he's ever been part of, that one is still his favorite. And in fact, 10 years after he wrote that song, he says, quote, I still get emails and we still run into people all the time who say that song changed the way I parent my child. It impacted me in a way that you will never understand. You see, part of the reason that song became so popular and so impactful 
was because it caused us as parents really to understand that our kids really are doing exactly what that song says. That it causes us to, to realize that our kids really are watching us. That we really are passing on bad habits and good habits to our kids. That they see everything. They hear everything, and they mimic everything that we do. And so it's good with the bad habits we have. It's good with the good, or it's true with the good habits that we have. But it's also true with our faith and the parents that, that we are sowing seeds of faith in our kids' life. And our kids see this in the way that we live out our faith. And so part of the reason we do Awana is because we want to sow these seeds of faith in our kids. And I want to be honest with you. You don't need a country song to tell you that. You don't need me to take my word for that. Because Hebrews chapter 11 gives us this beautiful example of what this looks like and how this lived, how this was lived out in the life of Moses. You see, there were seeds that his parents, uh, or seeds that his parents planted in his life that became so meaningful and so powerful that they had this enduring effect on Moses as he was an adult and as he demonstrated faith of his own and as a leader of an entire nation. You see, the seeds of his parents' faith were so influential that they really defined who he was. They really had encapsulated his whole identity as this faith of his parents that allowed Moses to really know who he was and who God created him to be. And so I want you to look with me in verse 23. In verse 23 is uh, this example of faith. And verse 23 starts a little different. Uh, for you guys that have been here, we've been working through chapter 11 of Hebrews, and, and it gives us all these different examples of these heroes of faith. And, and almost all of them start with by faith, and then somebody's name, and then here's what they did. right? By faith. But this one starts a little different. In verse 23, uh, it starts off, it says, by faith, um, after Moses was born, he was hidden by his parents for three months. And so the, the interesting thing about this verse is it mentions Moses, but he's not the focus of this verse. The focus of this verse is the faith of his parents and what his parents did. And so we'll pause. We'll come back to the rest of that verse in just a minute. But I want to make sure we're all on the same page. We all understand what's going on because most parents don't hide their kids for three months. In fact, most parents don't hide their kids for three minutes these days, and all of a sudden they're on social media everywhere, right? But Moses was born in a time uh, that the people of Israel, or the people of Israel, the Hebrews, they were slaves in the land of Egypt, right? And, and so they were blessed, and their population kept growing and growing and growing. And, and so the rulers of Egypt realized, hey, there's this group that we're, we're in charge of, but they're really starting to outnumber us. And in fact, there's not much that would keep them from revolting against us and leading the slave revolt. In fact, they may rebel against us and they may try to take over our entire kingdom. So we need to do something to kind of control their growth and control their population. And so the king of, of Israel, or excuse me, the king of Egypt, decided the way that he could control this population was he put out this law. And the law was simply this, that if you had a child, all right, and the child was a male, you must end that child's life immediately. Now, if your child was a female, you were good to go. You, you, so male babies could not live, but female babies could. And so this was supposed to be uh, what happened as soon as the child was born. In fact, it wasn't just the mothers. In fact, it wasn't the mothers at all that were in charge of doing this. It was the midwives and the, the people helping with the birth. And, and so, obviously, uh, when Moses was born, he was a male. But instead of killing him, the verse tells us, and, and, and uh, Exodus tells us, that his parents hid him for three months. That they kept him a secret 
for three months. And then he, he develops his lungs, and it's kind of hard to hide them when they get a little older, when they start crying a little more. So they hid him for as long as they possibly could. And then we, the rest of verse 23 tells us there's two reasons why they did this. There's two reasons why they disobeyed this direct order from the king's law and why they hid him. Verse 23 says they, they hid, or he was hidden by his parents for three months because they saw that the child was beautiful. That's the first reason they hid this child, because he was beautiful. Now, i got to be honest with you for a moment. Every parent would see this as a legitimate reason for keeping their child, right? Because he's beautiful, right? Every parent thinks that their child is beautiful. Now, maybe not at the moment they're born, maybe, but after you get them cleaned up and washed off a little bit, they're beautiful. Every parent thinks that their kid is beautiful. I've held lots of babies and and, and get to, I love on little babies, and I've never had a parent once be like, you want to come hold my ugly kid? Like, no parent thinks their kid is ugly. No parent's like, yeah, this one... This one's got to go because he don't look right, right? Every kid is beautiful in the sight of their parents. And so I want you to understand that, that, that Moses' parents think that he is beautiful. But I want you to see something because there's something that is going on here in this verse um, that we really don't get in the English translation because this is really not about his physical appearance. The, the mother and father of Moses are not looking at, at Moses and be like, you know what, my kid's prettier than your kid, so my kid deserves to live. Right? This is not about his physical appearance at all. There's something about this word that we have in Greek that the author of Hebrew uses that makes it very interesting. In fact, it's only used twice in the whole New Testament. It's used here, and it's used in Acts chapter 7, verse 20. And both times, it's referring to Moses as a child or as a baby, that he is beautiful. And and so I want you to understand that, like I said, it goes beyond just this physical appearance, that the underlying meaning underneath this word is that, that there's more of this inner beauty than an exterior beauty, that it's really there's this calling or distinguishing or this setting apart by God for a specific purpose. And so the parents of Moses hid their child for three months, not because he was a pretty baby, but because they knew that God had this special purpose for this child's life, that that God had a special plan for his life, that God had this unique calling for his life, that God had uniquely gifted and created this child as an individual, and so that his experiences, his gifts, his talents, and all of those things could be used by God to fulfill this special purpose, and it's all because that's how God made him. And so Moses' Moses' parents knew this from the very beginning, and this is the mentality they start to foster in their son Moses, that he is special, that he is a gift from God, that he's not just what the world says that he is, that, that God has him and is creating him in a very special way. And I want you to understand, this is not a self-esteem boosting kind of talk. This is not a go out and find your own identity kind of talk. This is the kind of talk that you find the identity of who God made you to be, and then you do that. That your identity is who God says you are and who God created you to be. That God created your identity, and your best life, your happiest life, your most content life will be when you let God define your identity instead of letting everybody else get their input into your identity. That He defines you, and not everybody else gets to do that. And so this is the first seed that we see uh, planted in Moses' life. And so for these three months, they're they're putting this in his life. And so I want you to understand the rest of the story because you're like, man, he's three months old. He's not getting that. He's not picking up on that. 
But the story doesn't end at three months because the story goes that after three months, they couldn't hide him anymore. And so his mom takes him down to the river. She has this basket that is waterproof and she puts her child in this basket. Unwilling to, to kill him, she puts him in his basket, puts him in the hands of God and says, God, I know you've created this child for a special purpose. I know that you've got a special design and plan for him. And so, God, I'm putting him in this basket, and I'm going to trust that you can do something that only you can do. You're going to put him exactly where he needs to be. And so she puts this child in the basket. She sends him off down the Nile River. And just down the Nile River was where Pharaoh lived. And Pharaoh's daughter steps into the Nile River to take her bath, as she normally did. And she sees this basket caught in the reeds, caught in the, in the side of the river there. And she has her servants go and get the basket. And in that basket is this beautiful child. And so she takes this child in and she's like, oh, this is a gift from God. And, and so she takes this child and she honestly raises this child as if it's one of her own, as if he is her child, which really means... She, being the, the, the princess, you get the other people to do the work for you. That's how you raise a child if you're a princess. If you're a normal mom, you just have to do all the work yourself. But she gets other people to do it. And what she does is she goes against the Hebrew slaves, who just by God's plan and design happens to be Moses' actual mother and daughter to come in and do the work. So understand, they're not just building this identity into his life for the first three months. They have him for the next 18 years, or actually probably 12 or 13 years, until he becomes a man. So they're building this mentality into him throughout his whole life. They are standing there and they're, they're reminding him, hey, listen, you are God's creation, that you are special, that God has called you to this special work. And so they're building this identity into in, in him and around him. And, and so they're, they're uh, kind of uh, defining his identity that God has said, this is who you're going to be, regardless of what the rest of the world says. And see, the world around him had different names for him. The world around him called him the prince of Egypt. The world around him called him Pharaoh's daughter. But I want you to see in verse 24 that Moses makes it clear as he grows up, that's not his identity. God has shaped him and created him differently. In verse 24, it says, By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And then continuing on in verse 25, And he chose to suffer with the people of God rather than to enjoy the short-lived pleasures of sin. You see, the world's message was clear. Moses, you'll be happier and you'll be better off if you just let us define you, if you'll let us dress you up, if you'll let us be the ones who tell you who you are and what God made you to be. And if you'll just let us do what we want to do, and if you'll just let us be the one who shaped your life, God, Moses, look at how easy life can be for you. Look how content life Look at this palace that you can live in. And what is Moses' answer to all of that? No. You don't get to define me. You don't get to create my identity. You are not the one who created me. Instead, God is the one who created me. God defines who I am. And so all this stuff doesn't impress me because I'm impressed with the one who created me. I'm impressed with the one who has a greater treasure for me than anything you have to offer. And I want you to see how he ends his response in verse 26. In verse 26, he says, For he considered the reproach, because of Messiah, to be greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, because, since his attention was on the reward. Where did he get this idea? How did he get this idea of living in a palace, that there's this greater reward, that, that there's something bigger and better than what all he sees? He got it from parents that when he was born, told him that he was beautiful. 
He got it from parents that told him that God created him with a special purpose. And, and God created this, this identity that he had. He got it from parents who said, God defines you and nobody else. He got it from a set of parents who said, God has a special plan and purpose. And don't ever forget that he has this plan. And his plan is much better than any reward that this world has to offer. You see, every reward this world has to offer is temporary. It's not going to last. But God is going to. And so I want you to listen to me as parents. This is the message that we need to be passing on to our kids. This is the message that we need to be planning in the lives of our kids from the time they're three months to the time they're 103 years old. This is the message that I hope every child that goes through our wanted ministry hears loud and clear that you are beautiful because you are God's creation, that God has a certain way and he's created you a certain way for a certain reason. And, and they don't get to reduce you. They don't get to define you. They don't get to redefine you. And they don't get to define yourself. And, and so this message, the world's message, has always been to offer some kind of alternative identity to who God created you to be. That, that they've always tried to redefine you and, and provide this alternative idea for this is who you are. You see, they've always told you that you weren't a sinner in need of grace because there's no such thing as sin. They've always told you that, that you weren't born for this body, that you need a different body, that, that you weren't good enough in the way that God created you. And the message of Jesus Christ and the message of the gospel has always been you are exactly who I created you to be. I have a purpose and I have a plan for you. And so the world doesn't get to define you. It doesn't get to reduce you. It doesn't get to do any of that to you. And the story of Moses reminds us this is, the, this is what we need to pass on to our kids. That it is God's identity that we should be pouring in our kids. This identity that he has a plan and he created us for that plan. And if we follow that plan, it will be far better than anything that this world has to offer us. Which leads us to the second seed of faith that his parents planted in his life. And this is the seed that distinguishes levels of authority in our life or in levels of voices that we hear and we give authority to in our lives. And, and so uh, there are always authorities. There's always voices that are, are in our lives that are telling us one way and they have power and sway. But we have to see that there are different levels of those. And, and so I told you, if you remember back, I told you there were two reasons why Moses' parents hid him uh, instead of being obedient to the king. We saw the first one was his identity. But go back to verse 23. And he says in verse 23 that he was hidden by his parents for three months because they saw that his child was beautiful. They shaped his identity. And then here's the second part. They didn't fear the king's edict. You see, Moses' parents knew that they had to answer to a higher authority than Pharaoh. And, and so they have this assurance, they have this confidence that, listen, we're going to disobey the king, and even though we disobey the king, there may be punishment for that. We'd rather be punished by the king and obey God than the other way around. We'd, better, we'd rather obey God and disobey the king than disobey God and obey the king. You see, when they had this choice to make, they didn't fear the king's edict. They didn't fear that the law was coming from them. They didn't fear that there was this punishment that they were going to have to face. Why? Because they knew they were being faithful to the God who created them. They, they feared God way more than they feared the king of Egypt. And so all of the standards that were in front of him and all the power in the king of Egypt was the most powerful man in the world at the time. And they said, no, listen, we're not worried about you. We don't answer 
to you when it comes to higher morality. And so they planted this seed of faith in Moses. And so for Moses, he grows up and he's hearing about this authority of God. He's hearing about this God that they can't see. And I want you to understand that Moses is living in a land that has statues and idols to all of these gods. They worship the sun God who comes up every morning. And when they see the sun, they worship him. And they, they have all these other statues. And, and his whole time, his parents are pulling it into him. Listen, there's a God that you don't see that has higher authority than all of these. In fact, if your God is a statue, then you need a bigger God. If your God waits for you to wake him up in the morning to show up in the sunrise, you need a bigger God because we got a God who's invisible, who made the sun, the moon, the stars, and everything else. That's the God you need to be trusting. That's the God you need to give your life over to. That's the God that you need to give your authority or have your authority under. And so down in verse 27, we see how this seed of faith grows and blossoms in Moses' life. In verse 27, it says, by faith, he left Egypt. Get this, not being afraid of the king's anger. For Moses persevered as the one who sees him who is in who is invisible. You see the words of this verse 27 and talking about Moses' faith and attitude toward the king. Did you hear them? They're almost identical. In fact, they're, they're pretty much exactly the same to what his parents had in verse 23. And, and neither of them are afraid of the king's enoch. Neither of them are afraid of the king's anger because they answer to the one who is invisible. That, that faith provides the proof of these things unseen. And so, yeah, Pharaoh may have the authority. He may have lots of power here on earth. People may bow down to him, but he's not the ultimate authority. He's a big authority, but he's not the ultimate authority. And Moses perseveres. He holds steadfast to this invisible authority. And so his, his, his parents don't raise him as an anarchist. They don't raise him to, to disrespect authority. They don't raise him to, to go against the government. They say, hey, there's a time and there's a place for government. And there's a time and a place when you should be submissive to government. But when government tells you to do something that God says not to do, then you go with God every single time. That's the identity. That's the authority that they poured into him. And so there is more fear for God than there is fear for men. There, there's this willingness to please God rather than to please men. And because he knows that the, who holds this ultimate authority, then he knows who he must answer to. And he knows who one who not only controls his day, his week, and the rest of his life, but he knows the one who holds his eternity. You see, Moses' faith of the one who is unseen came from his parents who didn't fear a king, even though he was the most powerful man in the world, because they respected God more. You see, Moses' life was shaped by the seeds of faith that his parents planted, and they cultivated in him. But his faith grew, and it became his own. And he experienced these two major events that demonstrate the foundations of our faith for us today. And the first one uh, was when he trusted in the blood of the Passover, or the Passover lamb. You see, Moses grows up, he becomes the spokesman of God, and he gets the Hebrew people out of slavery, and, or to get the Hebrew people out of, out of slavery. And so several times God sends him back to Pharaoh, and he sends him to Pharaoh, and he says, listen, Pharaoh, you need to let all of these people go. And Pharaoh's like, yeah, are you kidding me? This is like my whole wealth income right here. I don't have to pay these people a thing. And they're building kingdoms for me. They're building palaces for me. They're building tombs for me. Man, I don't have to pay them a thing. Do you know how much they would cost me if I got rid of all these people? And Moses is like, you need to let them go because God said. And he's like, I got, all, I got all room full of gods. I'm not worried about what your God says. I don't even know your God. And so then Moses gives him this warning. He says, listen, Pharaoh, if you don't let these people go, then God's going to bring judgment. He's going to bring plagues on your nation. And so Pharaoh's like, yeah, bring it on, whatever. And so God brings plague after plague after plague. And every time there's a plague, Pharaoh's like, all right, that's enough. Maybe your God is pretty big. Okay, fine, you can go. Just kidding. We're not going to let you go. 
And so he brings another plague. And so we have this cycle over and over and over. And then finally there's this final plague uh, that happens that's really meant to change his mind. This final plague is so devastating that it would cost the Egyptians the firstborn of every single family. But God has this way of allowing the Hebrew people to escape this destruction. And the story is told in Exodus chapter 12. If you want to look it up later, we don't have time to dive into it now. But in Exodus chapter 12... Uh, Moses tells every one of the Hebrew families, this is what's going to happen. There's going to be a destroyer. There's going to be an enemy that comes through the land, and he's going to destroy the firstborn of every family. The only way that you're going to be safe is if you go into your house. And before, when you go into your house, you need to sacrifice this lamb and, and take the blood of that lamb and put it on the doorpost and put it on the top header of your door frame. And then go into the house and don't come out of your house tonight. And so when the angel of death, when, when death comes through the land of Egypt, it's going to come to your house. It's going to be at your doorstep. And then it's going to see the blood of the sacrificial lamb. And it's going to pass over your house. It's going to skip your house and move on to the next one. And if they have the blood, it'll move on to the next one. And so Moses tells the people of, of Israel this. And he tells the Hebrews this. And so in verse 28, it shows us the, the, the response of what he's telling them. In verse 28, it says, by faith. He instituted the Passover, that's what I just told you about, and the sprinkling of blood so the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch the Israelites. Moses trusted the blood to protect the people. He trusted the blood of the lamb that was sacrificed to keep them safe from death and to have them victory over death. You see, what he didn't tell them was that their salvation was dependent on them. What he didn't tell them, hey, there's going to be this terrible thing that happens in Egypt, and what we need to do is get as far away from Egypt as we can. You need to get on your horses, your camels, whatever you can grab, get out of this. And he didn't tell them it depended on them at all. The only thing they had to do was trust that the blood on the doors and on the top of their doors and the doorposts was sufficient enough to save them from death. And so he tells them this, and he institutes this Passover, and, and there's no bargaining. This is the simple truth. If you want to survive, this is the way to do it. And see, this becomes the foundation, not just of his faith and their faith, but this becomes the foundation of our faith, because the thing that we are called to do in gaining salvation, and the most important seed that we want to plant in every life of every child that comes through our water program, and that we have in this church, is simply this. That we are to trust in the blood of Jesus Christ. You see in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 and 19, Peter says this, For we know that we are redeemed from your empty way of life, inherited from our fathers. Get this, not with perishable things like silver and gold, but, verse 19, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without deflect or or defect or blemish. You see, we as Christians the, know that the only way that we can be saved from destruction, the only way that we can find salvation is that we do the exact same thing that the Hebrews did. We trust in the blood of the sacrificial lamb. We trust that there's no way we can do enough good to outweigh our bad. We trust that there's no way we can show up in church enough to cover our sins. The, we know the sufficiency of blood and the sufficiency that Jesus did on the cross for us is the only hope that we have for salvation is the only hope that we have for escaping spiritual death is the Passover that when death and destruction when God's wrath comes it will pass over us because we trusted in the blood of Jesus Christ but there's one other major event in Moses life and I want to get to this I want to finish this passage and we're going to do this first quickly uh, and it's simply the, this foundation of truth is that we can experience complete deliverance and so not long after the Hebrew people leave Egypt Pharaoh did what he does every single time. He starts having second thoughts. And he thought, you know what, that was a really bad idea. I probably shouldn't have let those people go. 
And so what he does is he sends the, the Egyptian army after the Hebrew people with the idea of either scaring them back or actually going and taking them back and bring them back into slavery. And so the, the Israelites have started their journey. They're on their way out of Egypt, and they're so excited, and they're thinking, man, we've got this beat. And then all of a sudden, they look over their shoulder, and here comes the Egyptian army. And I want you to understand the Egyptian army is not just a little platoon of, of soldiers. This is the most powerful army in the world at the time. They have chariots. They have all these advanced weapons that, that most armies in that place didn't have at the time. And so then they find themselves trapped. There's this sea, this red sea in front of them. And when they look back over their shoulder, all they see is this terrible army that's coming after them. This terrible army that's going to bring them back to exactly the place they just escaped from. And so Moses goes to, the, goes to God and he's like, God... What are we going to do about this? We are trapped. We are set here. There's no way that we can survive this. He's trapped between the Red Sea in front of him and this army behind him. And then we get to verse 29. And verse 29 says, By faith they crossed the Red Sea as though they were on dry ground. And when the Egyptians tempted, attempted to do this, they were drowned. You see, what they did was they got through the Red Sea, got part of the Red Sea, and they got to walk through it. And it says like it was on dry ground, like there was no sea there. And then they get to the other side. And you know what they do? They turn and look over their shoulder. And this army was pursuing them as they made it to the other side. But when the army got in the Red Sea, the Red Sea closes back up and it kills all of them. It wipes out the entire Egyptian army that was in the sea. And then all of a sudden, the rest of them are trapped on the other side. And you know what the Israelites get to do then? They get to look over their shoulder and they don't have to worry about what's coming after them. They don't have to worry about a past catching up with them. They don't have to worry about mistakes and things that the, the enemy coming after them again. And so what this means for us is that when we put our faith and trust in the blood of Jesus Christ, when we see it as sufficient, when you and I look back, we don't see a past full of mistakes and regrets. Instead, what we do is when we look back at the ones who are coming after us, all we see is surely goodness and mercy because that's what God tells us will follow us all the days of our life. And you see, by faith, we look behind us and we see God's goodness and His mercy. We see His complete deliverance. We see the fact that there is no condemnation from our sins that we held us in the past, that we have completely broken free of the chains and that we were, or the sins that we were chained to. We've completely broken free of the addictions. They can't come and get us anymore. We are completely delivered from them. And so we look back, we don't see the enemy coming to get us. We simply see God's goodness and His mercy that follows us day in and day out. You see, these are the seeds of faith that we plant in these children. These are the seeds of faith and the verses that these kids have memorized. These are the seeds of faith that we as parents must plant into our kids. And when I tell you that we as parents, I don't mean us who just have physical kids. I mean all of you sitting in this room, if you're a, if you are a, or, or if you are a, a Christian, you have a responsibility to be planting these seeds in the next generation. And so the video that I was going to show you but I didn't have time was about this young man whose dad was also a country music singer. And he drank himself almost to death. And he, he, on his, what he thought was his deathbed, he became a Christian. And he came home after being on the road for all this time. He's like, we need to go to church. And his kids were like, we don't even know what church is. Like, we've never even, okay, we, yeah, okay. Is it Easter? Is it Christmas? Maybe it wasn't. And we need to go to church. And so they started visiting these churches. And they found this church that had this little kids ministry that they'd never heard of. It was called Awana. And so then... The, 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 the man's testimony says that, that I, I started sitting in there. I was trying to memorize these verses. And one Awana teacher came to me and said, You know, it's hard to memorize verses if you don't know what the verses are about. 
And so she sat down with him, and a verse that many of us know by heart, John 3, 16, and she told him the foundations of trusting in the blood, and she told him the foundation of complete deliverance in Christ. And that young man went through the Awana ministry, and the beautiful story is that his parents became volunteers in the Awana ministry. Can I share with you what they're doing now? That drunk country music singer is now a pastor of his own church who has their own Awana ministry. That young man who didn't know anything about the Bible, who had a Awana teacher who sat down with him and told him the foundations of the faith and planted those seeds in him, he's an Awana missionary, and he now goes around and he pours into these kids the faith that was poured into him. Listen, if you think the seeds of faith don't make a difference, you don't know the full story of what we are doing in and through these moments. Listen, listen parents, the seeds that we plant in our kids' life will impact their identity for the rest of their life. It will change how they view not only themselves, but the world around them. It will be the authority that they answer to for the rest of their life. And so I want to celebrate with you every time you sat down with your kid and you poured into a seed of faith and you struggled and you struggled and you struggled to get them to say that right word or pronounce that word that they just kept getting tongue-tied over and over. And I know I've been there, but you persevered as one who saw the unseen because you knew that seed of faith would change their life one day. But I want to share this with you. It's not just the kid's life that gets changed. And so if you're looking for a place where you can impact not just the next generation, but the generations and for all of eternity, then maybe Awana is your place. Maybe a Vacation Bible School is your place. And this is not a commercial. It's just simple and honest truth. Let's be a church that is known for planting seeds of faith that make a difference, not just in this area, but across this world and for all of eternity. Let's pray together.